pleasure to be with you guys this morning. Um, James Clear, um, in his book, Atomic Habits, uh, speaks about kind of the four stages that comes with building a habit. Um, I want to place kind of this, this graphic on the screen for us to, to kind of consider um, here uh, momentarily. The be there it is. All right. And he kind of considers these kind of the four movements. He kind of refers to this as like the neurological feedback loop. That essentially this is what every person runs through as they're trying to build a new habit. Um, real quickly, you kind of see to the far left there, you kind of see the cue under number one. And the cue is essentially kind of the processing of information that's around you externally and internally to think about a particular result or reward that comes with a habit. So you're kind of processing all the information and trying to predict what the reward or the result would be by doing that habit. The, the second thing is the craving. This is essentially is the motivation behind the habit because what's the point of trying to do something if you're not motivated to do it? Except what James actually suggests is that you, you're not, you don't really crave the particular habit or particular thing you want to do, but you crave the state or the feeling in which it gives you. Um, for instance, um, you don't really crave, he would suggest, that when you sit down to watch your favorite television program, you don't necessarily crave that particular program. A at its core, you crave to be entertained. Or, or he would say, if you're a runner or you desire to start running, that you necessarily don't crave that three to four mile run, but rather you crave the feeling in which you have while you're running or after you're done or the results that come among, upon your body. So that's kind of like that craving piece. Um, next, you see the response, which is obviously just a response to everything you, which you thought about in the first two things, with the last part being the reward or the result that comes from a habit. So th this is what James kind of refers to as this uh, neurological feedback loop that each person runs through. Um, another way in which he kind of looks at it, that the cue and the craving, one and two, are essentially the problem stage, where the response and the reward or the result is the solution stage. And if you think about it, if you can kind of rewind and go back to March of 2020, each and every one of us found ourselves in a problem stage. The coronavirus has came in and has shut down everything. And we find ourselves in a problem stage because we can't go to our favorite restaurant to get our favorite food. And you know, if you're a child, um, you're no longer um, in class uh, learning and you're stuck at home wondering what's going to happen. And even us as a church, we're no longer able to meet and gather because of this virus. We found ourselves with a problem. We have a cue and we have a craving and we desperately needed a solution. We desperately needed to respond. So what happened? Well, Grubhub and Uber Eats and pickup things became so popular because now we could still have a solution of having our favorite meal even without being in the actual restaurant. That for those of you who are students and those of you, you know, parents who have kids, you sacrifice for the solution of your children actually be able to have um, learning by means of Zoom and Microsoft Teams and every other technological thing that came about during this time. Even as the church, we had the solution of gathering online. So we had the opportunity to kind of sit in our PJs in our house and we were worshiping online. We were getting on Zoom, trying to foster community, doing all these things. There was a problem, but then came the solution. Well, the issue is now that we're kind of almost like a year and a half out, COVID is still a thing, but it's, we're kind of back in here and back in person. The issue comes now that the one-time solution has now become the problem. Um, um, it's become the problem because now we have forsaken our first love for convenience and for comfortability, for comfortability, if I can say the word. We have forsaken our first love in favor of this new love of technology and doing things on our own. 
Well, why come back and gather amongst the community when I have the online and I can do Zoom and I'm comfortable being by myself? Why worry about any of that, any of that when I'm just comfortable and just convenient? And I believe what the Spirit wants to say to each and every one of us as we're making our way back is to come back to your first love. Rehabit yourself to him, to his church, to the things of the church. Come back home and rehabit yourself. This is exactly what you guys have been going through the last couple of weeks. Have you been in Acts chapter 2? And the last couple of weeks, you've kind of been in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And how the early church devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And I have the opportunity to kind of share with you the first result that comes with gathering this way. The first result that comes with us rehabiting ourselves in this special way and coming back to our first love. Coming back to God. Coming back to his church. So if you have a copy of the word of God with you uh, this morning, I encourage you to join me in Acts chapter 2. And we're just going to look at one verse. Verse number 43. Acts 2. Verse number 43. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. That's it. (laughs) Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. Here you have everyone. They have devoted themselves to the church. They have made their gathering a priority. They are committing to living this new life amongst other people. And what is the first result in which we see? The first result we see is awe and wonder. There is awe and wonder amongst everyone that is attached to this community as they've made it a priority, as they've uh, pushed away things of the culture. They each had a cue, they each had a craving, and now they see it being fulfilled as they've responded to the church that is there. And everyone has awe and has wonder. Um, I want to take the next few moments that we have together to kind of share some principles that we see in this one particular verse in relation to rehabiting ourselves and this idea of having awe and wonder. We, we kind of see here that, again, they're meeting together, they're having awe at the many wonders and signs in which the apostles are doing. And what's incredibly interesting is we're not made aware specifically what these wonders were that they were doing. Um, if we think back to what Peter speaks about earlier in the chapter, or re, I believe around verse number 22, speaking about Jesus, we can assume that perhaps maybe some of the wonders that were happening were maybe the lame were actually being healed and they're picking up their mats and they're walking. Um, maybe those who are sick are being healed and are now living a life of complete healing. Um, maybe those who are demon-possessed are no longer demon-possessed and they're living a life of freedom. Or maybe just thinking of the context, maybe those who were once alienated from God and actually assisted some way in the process of Jesus being crucified have now confessed that this same Jesus is indeed Lord. Whatever it is, we're not made aware specifically of the wonders that happens, but I believe personally that this is incredibly intentional. I believe it's intentional because I believe the wonder shouldn't be our focus. Now, I believe Luke wants us to focus on something a little bit more deeper and a little bit more at the core. Um, If we think there's wonders going on around them, this gives evidence that there's someone of divine present among them. 
Someone of divine that's present among them, showing them um, of things greater, showing them his power, showing him his majesty, and pointing them away from themselves and pointing them to him to trust him. And, and, and as there are wonders, it says that these are basically signs. This, this is a visible sign of something new that is happening right before their very eyes. This is a visible sign of this divine person's kingdom. This kingdom that they have the privilege and honor to live into now and that they'll live into in full fruition in the future. In response to these wonders and these signs, each and every person finds themselves in awe. Uh, this word awe can mean fear, but it's not the kind of fear which, if you watch Friday the 13th or one of these other crazy movies, it's not that kind of fear where you're like terrified or afraid. It's the kind of fear that kind of means like deep honor and appreciation. Um, for, for what's going on, deep respect that's happening in this moment. So look at the picture in which Luke paints. Luke paints the picture that there is someone divine among them showing his power, pointing towards his kingdom in which they are to live into now that will come into full fruition in the future. And the response to seeing this power, the response of seeing a picture of this kingdom now is a response of awe, a deep honor, respect, and appreciation. See, see, the point Luke wants to make in this one verse is that this is all about God. That, that God is uniquely present amongst his people, showing and displaying his power, pointing to his already but not yet kingdom, and the rightful response when God shows up is awe. See, the, the first point I want to raise for our attention uh, this morning, in which you probably already know, but it's still a good reminder, is that presence equals his presence. Presence equals his presence. Notice that God is uniquely present amongst these people when they're together. Text doesn't give any indication that when they're separate or when they're by themselves or when they're chilling on the couch, when they are together, God is uniquely present among them, showing and displaying his power. And when we gather as a church, as you gather as the local church, whether by this specific name or just in a local church in general, God is uniquely present among us, showing and displaying his power, pointing towards his kingdom, and the rightful response is awe. Seriously, think about it. God is uniquely present among us right now. Think about that right now. Think about everything that's already happened in our brief time of worship together. As you sung your praise to God. Um, if you lifted up your hands in worship, um, if you shed tears, if you cried tears in the midst of our time together, as you uh, opened up your arms and you said that short prayer of saying, God, I just want to see your face, you did it to a God who willingly chose to assemble among us in worship today. And what's so beautiful about that is that oftentimes I kind of think like as I'm worshiping, as I'm singing, that I'm hindering the person's worship next to me because I can't sing, like I'm not on key. But here's the beautiful thing. God receives that worship. I ain't got to sing on key. So if you sit next to me, that's your problem. God receives my worship. <laughs> see, 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 see as, as we gather, um, we have the opportunity to experience what Israel experienced way back in Exodus 19 and 20. Um, if, if you remember Exodus 19 and 20, or if you don't, feel free to read it in your uh, private time later on. It's in Exodus 19 and 20 that this is the time in which God comes forth and presents the law to Israel. 
In particular, in Exodus 20, you see the giving of the Ten Commandments. And when God comes amongst Israel, he comes amongst a cloud and assembles amongst Israel, even speaking in an audible voice. And they call this particular day the Day of Assembly, because this is the day in which God chose to assemble and be amongst his people. Um, if you were to fast forward from this and go into when Jesus is speaking, specifically in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18, you find Jesus saying this in response to what Peter has declared about him. In, in Matthew chapter 16, verse number 18, it says, um, and I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock, or this statement in which Peter has said, I will build my church, and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Remember, this is Peter. He's kind of given this declaration that, Jesus, you are the Christ. You are, you are Lord. And, and upon this statement, Peter, in which you made, I will come and I will build my church. This word church in the Greek is the same word um, that's used in the Hebrew that means assembly. So what, what Jesus is saying is, look, upon this statement of me being the Christ, me being the Lord, I will build my assembly. Not only does it say that, but if you fast forward to Matthew chapter 18, verse number 20, here's what Jesus says here. He says, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am with them. Do you kind of see the connection? Remember, Exodus 19, 20, this is when God comes by a cloud. He comes and he assembles with his people. This is the day of assembly. Fast forward to when Jesus comes speaking in Matthew chapter 16. He says that upon the declaration of me being Lord and me being the Christ, I will come and I will build my assembly. You're in an assembly right now. And when two or three are gathered in the name of Jesus, the very Jesus in which we profess that he is Lord and he is Christ, he is present among us. Saints of God, when you gather in this place, when you gather in a local church, God is uniquely present among us. He is present among us, and as he is present among us, we have the opportunity to be witnesses and participants in the very move and the very power he desires to display among us. That, that when we gather, we have the opportunity to hear and to see how God has blessed people financially when the normal courses of revenue fell short. We, we had the opportunity to see how people who have been healed when doctors shook their head and said there was no hope. We, we had the opportunity to see how God is manifesting miracles that literally blows our minds. We come into this place because God is uniquely present, but we also come in here to get a foretaste of what heaven would look like. Because you do realize that when we get um, when heaven, heaven is going to be filled with people um, of different ages and male and female and different political preferences and different cultures and different races all coming to worship and to pray and to be all in awe of God. What do you think this is right now? You're in a room right now, people of different uh, of, of ages, in a room not right now, people of different cultures and, and races and male and female, young, old, tall, small, all in this place. And when you come and you gather like this, you get a picture of what heaven's going to be like. Here's the thing. If you ever wondered, if you ever just randomly thought and wondered to yourself, I wonder what heaven is going to be like. I wonder what it's going to look like. Come to church. Come to church and you'll see exactly what heaven's going to look like as people from all over come and they worship and they adore and they exclaim that Jesus is indeed king. And the rightful response is what? Awe. Our presence equals 
his presence. Now, that, that sounds wonderful, and that sounds great, but also we see in this text, we see a danger that's present in this text. We see a danger that's there. Um, it says that everyone had this sense of awe. Now, this word, this awe that's kind of present here in the text, this awe means an enduring awe, which means that everything that's going on here, it doesn't mean that they had awe for like a brief moment and then their awe completely disappeared. But the awe in which they had endured, which means it kind of maintained itself or it increased every single time they got together. That, th that there was excitement and gathering. There was this encouragement as they came alongside one another in prayer. That there was this joy to assemble with their brothers and sisters in Christ as this newly formed body in Christ. Now, now maybe you're wondering, okay, Clarence, that sounds great, but where is the danger? The, the danger comes when this excitement and this encouragement and this joy begins to diminish and awe is no longer endured. The, the danger comes when the, when the apostles' teaching or when the fellowship or the, the breaking of bread and the prayer, the danger comes when all these things that happen in the midst of the assembly become nothing more than just a routine. Um, when, when, when gathering doesn't seem that important anymore, when gathering is just, just looked at as just checking off a box for the week that you can say, I, I went to church, I did my good, now I can go on with the rest of my week. When church is nothing more than just checking off a box. Um, um, when church is nothing more than just a social gathering to talk about current events and not a place where we worship the king being made more into the image of his son and seeking to be living uh, kingdom-related lives. That when simply when we come into this place, because we know the flow of service so well, that we purposely come late or we purposely leave early because there are things in the service that don't tickle our fancy. When things become increasingly routine or when we perceive it to be routine, when the encouragement, when the excitement, when the joy is gone, we can find ourselves in a state where awe is diminished. Why? Because familiarity diminishes awe of God. Familiarity diminishes awe of God. That when we are so focused on what appears to be a routine, or we're so familiar and we're so focused on things being so familiar, we fail to see that God is yet still moving in the midst of our gathering, that God is still uniquely present, still desiring to show his power. Now, what's increasingly interesting is that when you look in the NIV translation, the NIV translation kind of, uh, kind of sets it up in such a way where uh, everyone is in awe based upon the wonders and the signs in which they are seeing. When you actually look at this in the original Greek language, everyone is not necessarily in awe at the wonders and the signs that are being performed. They are in awe based upon everything that's happening in verse number 42. So they find themselves in awe because of their gathering, because of the, the, the teaching, because of the fellowship, because of the breaking of bread, because of prayer. This is what's giving them awe because they see God moving in the midst of it. And when those things in which we rally around and do become too routine for us or, come too, or become too familiar because that's all we're focusing on, this can diminish our awe of God as God desires to work in and around us. Um, let, I want to show you a picture um, now, um, show you this uh, picture. This picture here, um, this beautiful little girl, 
um, is my daughter, Nora. She is two and a half um, years old. She is a joy um, to my wife and I. Um, not enough time to kind of share the complete um, and whole testimony there, but Nora very much is our miracle child. Um, we dealt with nine years of infertility, told we could not have children, but look what God blessed us with. We got a beautiful two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. Now, now, I will say, because she is two, um, that, the ter- look, the terrible twos are real, okay? I know, <laughs> I know you hear stuff and, you know, parents say, oh, no, no, no. Look, I'm telling you, it, it's a real thing. Like, I t- like, the best way I describe her to people is I describe her as a Sour Patch Kid. There's moments where she's sweet. And then there's other moments where she's just, she, she's sour, like she's every bit of two. Um, last week, or actually the week before last, my family, we were up, we were up north. We uh, spent some time up north as, on a family vacation, um, kind of just rusting, um, just kind of getting ourselves rejuvenated for the hard push of, hard push of planting here um, in the next six to seven weeks. And we had a desire one particular day of going to the zoo, but it was raining outside. Um, so we decided to kind of wait it out in the hotel room um, until it stopped. Um, this would have been okay, but we have a two-year-old that we have to entertain, and you can't confine a two-year-old to a small little hotel room. Um, so what my wife did is she took her um, outside um, to the hallway, and it, it, it leads outside, and there's like a covering there. And she allowed Nora to kind of run up and down the highway, um, not the highway. The <laughs> <laughs> Look, I don't need CPS calling, like I'm a, I'm a good dad, okay. <laughs> the hallway. She was running up and down the hallway. We were, we were you know, blowing bubbles, kind of doing things like that to keep her, geez, to keep her, um, to keep her entertained. Um, something else uh, my wife and Nora did, and we all kind of did as a family over the few days we were there, um, and what you see Nora doing here, we, we rode on the elevator. Um, we rode on the elevator, and you see Nora there in that picture. She's holding onto the bar um, in the elevator. The reason why we rode on the elevator so much is because Nora thought the elevator was a rocket ship. She thought the elevator was a rocket. And look, rightly so. There's a whole bunch of buttons. Um, it makes noise. The doors open and close. It moves. I mean, it's, it's basically, I mean, look, if the Amazon guy can do it, we were on it. So, I mean, <laughs> so Nora thought, Nora thought this was um, a rocket ship. And, and what, we would, what we would do, we would go in the elevator. You know, we push the button we want to go to. And then Nora would go, three, two, one, blast off. And the elevator would move. And then when we get to our desired floor, it would ding, and then Nora will be like, you hear that, Mommy and Daddy? And then the door is open, we walk out, and she's like, bye, at rocket ship, bye, and, and stuff like that. We, I think if you ask my wife now, we probably rode the elevator a good 27 times over the course of vacation because it was a rocket ship to her. Now, to my wife and I, this was completely pointless. Obviously, it's an elevator. It's, yeah, it's, it's pointless. And honestly, I don't even like elevators. Like, that's one of my biggest things is, like, getting trapped in an elevator for a long period of time. Like, I don't like it. But I did it because Nora thought it was a rocket ship. It, see, it was a waste of time to my wife and I because all we saw this thing was is just an elevator. All we saw is just an elevator. But my daughter, she didn't see an elevator. She saw a rocket ship. She saw a rocket ship that she wanted to be on, and she fought us tooth and nail. Like, every time we tell her, Nora, this is just an elevator, she'd be like, no, no, this is a rocket ship. Why? Because she was so much in awe and deep honor and appreciation for this thing. All she saw, despite of it being this routine thing, all she saw was a rocket ship. Where to us, because we've been around it so long, and we rode on it so many times, and we've seen it so many times, it was nothing more than just an elevator. Perhaps the reason 
why we don't have a sense of awe anymore is because we've allowed things in our hearts and our minds to look and feel too familiar. Perhaps things are just a little bit too routine for us. Um, perhaps perhaps um, when you come into, the, come into worship and you know the narrative, you know the scripture in which the teacher is going to teach from, and you don't open yourself up to any new insights, perhaps that's the reason you don't have awe of God anymore. But perhaps maybe because the worship team is singing the same song for the third week in a row and it no longer speaks to you, that maybe that's the reason why you find yourself not having awe of God. Maybe during community time and someone's saying, can you pray for me? And it's the, the same prayer request from four years ago. Maybe, maybe that's the reason why you're not in awe of God. Maybe it's because we don't have a true appreciation for the gathered assembly. And we put any and everything above it. Sports, staying in bed, an appointment, anything because church is looked at nothing more. Again, it's just something I check off my box. Maybe that's why awe of God has diminished in your life. If you find yourself coming into the house of God and to worship, and you're not in a place of awe, ask yourself, am I too focused on things that appear or may look to be familiar or routine and not centered and focused on God? Am I so focused on things going on around that look familiar and look routine that I've not realized that God is at work, that God is changing lives, that God is forming and shaping each and every one of us? See, don't allow your maturity of God and your knowledge in God to hinder what God desires to do in and among you as you gather in worship. Because every single time we come into this place, we should come into this place desiring to be with God. That every single time we come into this place and open up the word of God, we should be incredibly excited, even if you already know the story in which the teacher is teaching upon. That every single time we come in here and we worship, we should extend our hands in praise and worship and adoration to our great God, even if it's the same song they sung last week. And we should be incredibly joyful that someone chooses to willfully share their prayer requests and their deep concerns and are vulnerable with us, even if it is the same thing that we're struggling with three or four years ago. Don't allow the perception of what looks familiar and routine to hinder awe of God, to hinder what God is doing in and amongst our midst. Because we have to realize that while we are here and we are present with God and while we are in awe and get to see these wonders and signs, everything that happens in and outside the four walls of the church as we gather is an opportunity to draw in the culture. It's an opportunity to draw in those who are from the outside looking in to come in and to experience and to receive everything we have. See, it's an opportunity. Witness of God's power in the assembly, it should extend to the culture. That that witness of God's power in and through the assembly should extend to the culture. What's the very first word found in Acts chapter 2, verse number 43? Okay, look. Y'all still caught up on the highway thing. I'm not really going to put my daughter. <laughs> Acts 2, verse number 43. What's the first word? Everyone. everyone, right? Which means this is not just everyone that is present in the community that's experiencing awe, but it's people even outside, the unbelievers in this point, that are experiencing awe. These are people from the outside looking in, and as they're looking in, they're looking and saying, you know what, there, there's, something, there's something different about them. There, there's something happening there 
That's not happening where I'm at in the culture. They're, 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 they're always so excited to be with one another. They're always happy. They're always supporting one another. They're, they're eating at one another's homes. Like, what is happening there is completely different from what's happening here in the culture. And they, what they're saying in that moment, what they're thinking in that moment, what they're perceiving in that moment is, I want what they got. See, when we gather, when we come together, when we come together and God is in the midst and he's working, yes, we have the opportunity to be in awe. Yes, we can be witness and, witnesses and participants in it. Yes, we have the opportunity to experience wonders and signs, but also we have an opportunity to share this with the culture and encourage the culture and those within it, come in and to taste and see that the Lord is indeed good. Um, I, I told you at the very beginning, um, I told you how um, um, the building of a new habit starts with a cue and starts with a craving, right? This is kind of the, the problem kind of stage. And besides for COVID, our world in general finds itself in a problem. Our world desires to feel loved and to feel valid, validated and valued and appreciative and as they belong. The, the world desires to understand what their purpose is in life and how they can make a mark in society and make a mark in their family. Um, the world has trusted in government that's let them down, have placed their hope in societal groups to only love them based upon if you agree with them, and have placed their dependence on family and friends who have let them down. Our world has placed their hope in so many things in the world and haven't been fulfilled. Matter of fact, to be more specific, our world has done exactly what Jeremiah 2, I believe, verse 13 says, that they've chosen to trust and to put their hope in broken cisterns that are unable to hold water, unable to quench their thirst. Our world has a cue and has a craving and has constantly chose the wrong response. At the heart of every single person who comes into a localized body to worship, in the heart of every single person, is the source of living water, and that's Jesus Christ. And we, through our lives, we, through our gatherings as we come together, have the opportunity to point to our culture, have the opportunity to point them to Jesus. That as they have this cue and as they have this craving, we have the opportunity to point them to have the rightful response, to have the right result they desperately are seeking for. That everything about us, everything about our gathering points to Jesus. Your life should point to Jesus. Your small groups should point to Jesus. Everything in which you do in and through your life, your conduct, your attitude, it all should point to Jesus. So the question to ask this morning is, where does your life point to? Or who does your life point to? Where or who does your small group point to? The worship team, where does your rehearsal and where does your worship point to? As you gather and have uh, little small meetings, where does your meeting even point to? The, the, the opportunity you guys have at Ken O'Shea, where does that point to? Every single thing that we do, that we say in these four walls and even outside of them, should point to our beautiful God, should point to our Savior, should point to our King. We have a cue. We have a craving. We have the opportunity to choose the right response that gives us the right result, which is Jesus Christ. We have the opportunity to rehabit ourselves, to assemble with one another, to be in awe of God, 
as he does wonders amongst us, pointing towards his already but not yet kingdom. And we have the opportunity to be witnesses and participants within it. So if you haven't already had the right response, if you're watching online and you've yet to make the right response, make it today. Rehabit yourselves. Come back to your first love. Come back to the awe and wonder of God. Amen? Let's pray. God, you are so good. And God, oftentimes we say that as a cliche statement or just a filler, but God, you are, you are really good. You willingly choose to assemble among us. God, who, who are we that you would choose to be with us? Sinful people who often choose our own way and choose what we think is right, who desire to be king over, kings of our own lives, but yet when we come into this place to worship, to glorify you, pray with you even with our garbage and our mess you're right there with us telling us that you love us telling us this is exactly where we belong sharing with us the issues of our lives that we desperately need together but that we need to get together but also sharing with us that you're there to forgive that you're there to wash away clean and you're there to make us more and more like you What a joy it is, Lord, to know that as we worship, you are present among us, doing wonders and doing signs right alongside each and every one of us. God, you're awesome. And may we not lose sight of the fact that every single time we do gather, you're here. God, even though sometimes we come down, boggle down from the the stresses and the affairs of the week, maybe we had an argument coming in, maybe we just came in and we're just not feeling it, but God, may we always know in the back of our minds and in our hearts that here is where you are, in this place is where you are, and it's in this place that we can experience freedom, that we can experience joy, that we can experience you. God, there's no reason that we don't leave here better because we spent time with you than when we first came in. God, help us to remove our eyes from things that may seem and look routine and familiar. God, that you work in and through all things. And may we seek to see you, may we seek to appreciate you and to feel you in all things that happen in the midst of us. Because God, you called us not to live in a silo, but God, you called us to live out life in the culture. You've called us to extend ourselves to the culture. And God, may our gatherings in and outside of this place extend to the culture, reach out to the culture, grab the culture, and bring them back into yourself. That's our heart and that's our desire, Father. Forgive us for the moments, Lord, in which we've been complacent, where we've been comfortable in our old love and in this new love in which you've given us during COVID. But God, we commit ourselves today to come back to what what once was. We commit ourselves to come back to our, our first love, to come back to you and to come back to your church. So thank you, Lord, for receiving us back. Thank you, Lord, for the call and the mandate to go out into our culture. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today and for being present among us. We love you, Father. It's in Christ's name. Amen.